you were listening to a podcast I was on? Yeah, it was just the other day, like it came up on my like for you page on YouTube. I'm trying to think who it was, like some young podcaster, and he was just asking you, you might remember who it is, just asking you about True North and sort of your story and what you're doing over here. And then um you mentioned that you were and he said, Oh, your mom, and you're like, Yeah, I'm actually expecting my fourth. And I was like, Oh, I feel like I missed the like announcement network or something, but Well, that's the thing about having like a remote office is like if you guys saw me every day, you would know I was pregnant. But because you're in Alberta and you never see me, then you don't know. But yeah, actually, it was Aaron Pete. Uh, he's like a young up and coming podcaster in Coquitlam. And Aaron P or Peak? Pete, P E T E. And his podcast is called Bigger Than Me. He interviews journalists. And I think the typical podcast is like 30 minutes. And we went for like two hours because we were like really disagreeing on a lot of things. It was fun. It was really, it was really a fun podcast. But okay, I'll give him a little shout out then. Yeah, you should, you should actually go on his show. I think he'd. He'd like to have you on. What did you Both guys disagree you. about? Uh, well, well, so he's First Nations, so we talked about the unmarked grave story, which was fun. Uh, we didn't didn't quite see eye to eye there, and, and it's interesting because he's he he's not he's not like a liberal, but I think he has a lot more time for Justin Trudeau than I did, and I was pretty like frank about my criticisms of Trudeau, the legacy media, like yeah, we we had a lot we had a lot to talk about. I, I recommend you go watch it; it was fun. Okay, guys, let's get this started. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to our Turn North channel. If you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, please leave us a five-star review. And finally, head on over to our website, tnc.news, so that you can sign up for a newsletter and never miss an episode. So we are back with another edition of Off the Record. Today, I'm joined by Harrison Faulkner, who's a senior reporter here at Turn North and the host of Ratioed. And then also great to be joined by Rachel Emanuel, who is our Alberta reporter and the host of the Alberta Report. Great to have both of you with us today. Happy, Happy to be, be here. Yeah, glad we could finally make this work. I know we've got a lot juggling with kids' schedules and whatnot, but... Yeah, yeah, well, obviously very busy for me, but Rachel, you're also a new mom settling into that new role as well. So thank you for taking the time today. So uh, Rachel, I want to bring the first story that we talk about here uh, out to your neck of the woods. Uh, this is interesting. The, the town of Westlock, which is a pretty small community north of Edmonton, uh, they recently voted to ban pride flags and rainbows from the crosswalk. So we've all seen this phenomenon creep up in recent years where basically they love to splatter this flag like everywhere they can. It's it's all over sidewalks. It, you know, 10 years ago, you used to see these uh, crosswalks. You'd go to like a gay neighborhood in Toronto or Vancouver. And somehow it's just like, now it's everywhere. You see them in the suburbs, you see them in small towns. Uh, basically, I think every school and every municipality in Canada flies this flag for the month of June, sometimes even longer. Uh, well, one, you know, this one community has decided that they've had enough. We're talking about a town of 4,800 people, and they had a plebiscite and they just voted no. Um, 51% in favor of banning these things, and I guess the rest were opposed. Uh, so, Rachel, what's, what's your take on this news story? Yeah, it is pretty funny. Westlock is a town north of Edmonton. It's about one hour north of Edmonton. Just a small little place, super, you know, cute, like just a small little town. Um, the person behind this initiative was actually Benita Penderson. She's a huge organizer in the freedom movement, pretty well known here in Alberta and does some work out west 
generally as well. So when she initially started on this, you know, people were making fun of her. No one thought that it was going to pass or be successful. I believe she also ran for Westlock City Council and wasn't successful in that effort, but, you know, continued with this efforts to ban pride flags on sidewalks and things like that. And it passed. And I think everyone was pretty shocked. People definitely didn't see that coming, but I think that just speaks to what you can accomplish if you're a good organizer and if you know how to get people out to the vote. I'm sure there's people in Westlock who weren't aware that this was happening. And then there's people on the other side who are working hard to have their objectives accomplished. So, you know, she's obviously a good organizer. She's been organizing for lots of rallies across the province. She's definitely good at bringing people out. And that's what we saw here, people of Westlock who oppose the pride flags that they have to walk across. I guess they felt maybe it was a way of showing support for the trans movement because that's really what pride has become about. It's not just about gay rights. It's really about trans rights nowadays. And they've absolutely hijacked that whole movement. So, you know, people came out and uh, voted and voted against it. So I think it's a pretty funny story. And, you know, congrats to Benito on having that passed. Yeah, it's funny. And Harrison, I'll let you jump in a second. But, you know, originally it was a rainbow flag and it kind of just meant like, I guess, inclusiveness towards gay people. And it was it was actually like not an ugly flag. Right. It's just like kind of a beautiful flag. Like my kids love rainbows is like all the beautiful colors. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, the flag itself just kind of I don't know, it, it just like went went crazy and they started adding all these different symbols that meant different things. So I think there's now like a trans component. There's a Black Lives Matter component. I think there's a First Nations component. So every, every time there's like a big woke scandal, they just like further change this flag and make it even more hardcore left wing. Uh, what, what's your take on all this, Harrison? Yeah, I think the flag is going to just keep evolving until the point where it's just unrecognizable. They've got every sort of leftist symbol on there somewhere. But the reality is this flag is everywhere. You can't go, you can't live in Canada without seeing it basically every day. It's on every public school in Ontario, basically any small town in Ontario. They've got these pride crosswalks. I'm surprised they even let it go to a plebiscite, but I think this is the way to go. If you put this to a vote in small towns across the country, I guarantee you, and if Canadians know what's happening, they're going to vote against it. So let the plebiscites happen. Let let the people decide what they want. I, I, my family spends a lot of time in, in Thornbury, which is a smaller town about two hours north of Toronto. And they have these pride crosswalks all over the town. And they've got these tire marks through it, through these pride crosswalks. We were told that that's actually a hate crime. If you burn your tires over the pride crosswalk, that happens all the time. So... Uh, you know, I don't know what kind of respect it shows to the uh, pride community, if you want to call it that, by having these on the ground so cars can drive over them and people can walk over them. But hey, regardless, put this to a vote. I, I promise, I promise you that Canadians will vote against this if they have a chance to. It's just not going to fly. I, I think you're right. And I, I don't think that it's like a deep seated sign of homophobia. I don't think that people no. in Westlock voted against it because they hate gay people or anything like that. I think they're just tired of this stuff being shoved down our throat. So one of my favorite accounts over on X is this account called End Wokeness. And they shared a clip of a guy basically doing everything he could to avoid having to step on these, uh, you know, you can see they've painted some stairs there. And the guy is like pulling himself up the poles in the center to avoid having to step on this thing. And the caption said, this dude is all of us right now. So I think that there's something broader happening beyond just, uh, you know, a small town in, in Northern Alberta uh, where, where people are just, they're just bloody sick of this stuff getting ram rammed down our throats. Um, Rachel, is that, is that your feeling as well? Or do you, do you disagree? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think depending on the municipality or the city where this is being voted on, we're going to see different results. Obviously, in this case, like I said, I think it came down to the organizing. We did see something similar happen in uh, Norwich, Ontario a few years ago. The City Hall Norwich is a very conservative area. It's a very Christian area. And I know there's a high number of Dutch Reformed uh, individuals who live there. And the City Council had actually passed something that on Crown land or you can't raise flags that are not Canadian flags. And they did actually backtrack on that following backlash. They said people of the town can request specific flags to be raised. And they included the pride flag as one of the flags that they were able to raise along with the uh, Netherlands flag because there is a high amount of Dutch people living there. So, you know, it was an effort that they had tried and I think they sort of withered under the backlash. I do think if you're going to implement these types of policies, then at least have the backbone to stand on it following. But I guess the dichotomy there is that it was city council that passed it in here. As we mentioned, it was actually people coming out to vote for this plebiscite. So slightly, slightly different there. But, you know, I think we just have to be in this age of yeah, there is cancel culture. People are going to be offended. But if you're going to say something, think it through before you say it and then stand your ground afterwards. Don't don't apologize for people getting upset. That's exactly what they want. And we're never going to accomplish anything in this country. And Candice, we, we talked about this before, but like this whole thing about raising other flags that are not the Canadian flag, I, I'm just sick of it. Like there's no reason for a, a government building to raise a foreign flag, Ukrainian flag, whatever. I don't understand why we're even allowing that. This would never be the case. Uh, in any previous time, in any previous era, except for the era we're living in now, where we've got the rainbow flag on public schools, the orange every child matters flag on public schools, you know, foreign flags. Why can't the Canadian flag, I know it's cliche, but doesn't the Canadian flag represent all of those values at this point? It's just strange to me that we're allowing this to happen. I'm just sick of it. Yeah, no, you're right. Like the idea behind the Canadian flag is that it represents all of us and in, within that, we're all included in it. So it, it's a flag that, that that is there to unite us. That is the purpose of a flag. That's the purpose of national symbols. And instead, you know, especially in the, in the aftermath of the unmarked grave story, where all the Canadian flags at schools and Canadian uh, government buildings across the country were down at half staff, and then and then instead you saw them flying these rainbow flags. Which, I mean, I, I understand that they fly them to make people feel welcome and comfortable or safe or whatever they say. But but it actually is quite a divisive flag because not everybody agrees. Not everybody feels a part of that, right? Like you, you have a flag that's divided up. So it represents gay people. It represents trans people. It represents First Nations people. It represents black people. But it doesn't represent the rest of us. And in some ways, it's like a big middle finger at the rest of us. And yet we're supposed to like honor and revere it. Uh, final final comment on this, uh, Harrison, you mentioned about how, you know, you see tire marks. Uh, and I've seen videos of this where trucks kind of purposefully create black tire skids on these uh, crosswalks because, again, they're sick of it. It reminds me, it's almost the opposite way of looking at it. But in Iran, what the government does, so, so Iran hates the United States. They hate Israel. It's like they're avowed sworn enemies. And so they'll paint large American flags and Israeli flags on the sidewalk so that people have to walk over those flags because it's seen as such a sign of disrespect to that country to have someone tread on the flag. And it's interesting because these clips come up and you can see how students in defiance of the Iranian regime will go to like great effort to avoid stepping on the flags because they actually like America and they actually like Israel. And the country that they don't like, the country that they hate, is their own country. They hate their own government. And so they do exactly the opposite of what 
the government expects. And so in that clip, if, if, it, if it continued to play, you'll see that students were kind of like walking around it, walking along the edge to avoid stepping on the flag itself. So it's like, it's like, it's like the opposite, right? In Canada, we show like that we love gay people by putting their flag on a crosswalk, which would then we all st step on and we drive across. Uh, whereas, you know, in Iran, that would be seen as like a huge sign of disrespect towards that community. I, I just I just find that like an interesting perspective, even maybe on like, I don't know, the the the, the, the honor that we show to a country, our own country uh, or lack thereof. Uh, fi final word to you, Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I think it just shows you that the th this this whole ideology is simply about ramming it into people's faces, forcing everyone to just accept it and not allowing anybody to disagree. If you disagree with, uh, if, you, if you disagree with wanting to see the pride flag on a university campus, on a crosswalk, you're some sort of homophobe, you're a transphobe. It's, it's all about that imagery. The imagery is important. And they, the left, the very, the very radical left know that that's why they're forcing it on people. And I guess it's just the difference between the East and the West, right? The different mindset. But the reality is the, the radical left know exactly what they're doing. They they use imagery to their advantage. And this is exactly, this is an example of it. Just forcing people to accept it. Yeah, forcing it down our throats. Well, speaking of all of this sort of trans mayhem and craziness, Rachel, you flagged the story you wanted to talk about. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney, who is a famous, I guess, popular, infamous uh, uh, influencer, I guess you call him. He, he he's, a, an in, he's a male who used to be a Broadway star. And then he decided, he woke up one day and decided to be a woman. And he started cata, cata, uh, showcasing his uh, journey into womanhood, I guess. And basically his journey into womanhood was like mocking women. Like it was, it was so over the top. Like, I'm a woman. That means I cried seven times today or, or whatever he was saying. Um, and, and then he ended up getting sponsored by Bud Light. Um, conservatives and Americans didn't like that. So they issued like a mass boycott of Bud Light for having this trans figure uh, being there, um, you know, the face of the movement. And uh, now, now Dylan Mulvaney is back. He was on the cover of Forbes. And I guess he's named one of the 30 under 30. Um, so Rachel, uh, I'll let you uh, take over this story here. Yeah, super silly. He absolutely mocks women. I think some of his other videos are him sort of frolicking in the forest with his heels on and then he sees a bug and he's talking about how afraid of the bug he is. Just an absolute caricature of what woman what it is to be a woman, of course. So this story has been kind of going around online now that he's been named uh, one of the 30 under 30 influential people. And Mark Cuban came out in his defense and said, let's not try to cancel him and said his views aren't, you know, harmful or dangerous. And here he is, his quote was, how about you just let people live their own lives and stop trying to cancel people? So of course, you know, Dr. Jordan Peterson saw this and, and had to weigh in and it became a big thing online. And I just couldn't help but notice a story and people coming to his defense and saying, well, don't try to cancel him. It's This is not somebody who is trying to live a private life. This is somebody who really wants the attention. He really wants to be in the public eye. He wants to be somebody. And he obviously wasn't finding a lot of success through any actual merit or skills. So he decided to find that success in becoming a caricature of what it is to be a woman with his ridiculous TikTok posts. And he's absolutely desired and craved all of the attention that he's gotten. 
And so it's absolutely fair that we would be able to comment on this and comment on how really disgusting and how evil it is, um, what he's doing. And of course, the way that he's misleading young girls, he has a huge following of preteen girls who are often commenting about his body and about how skinny he is. Of course, he doesn't, he is very thin. He doesn't have the body of a woman. He doesn't have curves. He doesn't have breasts. And so now all these young women are seeing this and, you know, they're thinking, oh, how can I look like this? Well, maybe I'll have to get my, my breasts removed. So of course, this is somebody who his desire to be in the public eye. He's gone to great lengths to do so. And I think it was right and fair that we would be able to comment on this. Well, of course, it's kind of the trick that the the media like to play. It's like they put someone out front and center. And then if we notice it and we comment on it, then they'll say like, oh, how dare you criticize and comment on this? Uh, this person just wants to be left alone. It's like, you know, no, no, he's, he's on the front cover of Forbes magazine and named a 30 under 30. Like it's, it's, it's insulting to all of us. Uh, Harrison, what's your take? I mean, in a way, this guy is pretty influential, right? Just his mere presence nearly brought down a major beer brand. So that is some level of influence, maybe not the influence they're trying to portray, but he nearly brought down Bud Light by just simply being a brand ambassador for them. So, I mean, that's pretty influential, right? Uh, you know, the reality is I find it interesting that actually Bud Light has now gone on this complete, you know, rebranding effort to try and make themselves appeal back to their core audience. They've signed a deal with Shane Gillis, the uh, the comedian. They've signed a deal with UFC and Dana White. And now Dana White is like saying, Bud Light is the most patriotic brand. If you want to be a patriot, you should be drinking Bud Light. So I guess in a way, in some weird way, this guy is pretty influential. <laughs> he, he nearly brought down Anheuser-Busch and tanked their stock for quite a while. So uh, maybe not the way Forbes is trying to get at it, but you know, he is influential. Well, and, and I think, Dr. Peterson hits on a on a deeper point here with that tweet that he said that Dylan Mulvaney popularized sterilization and mutilation for his own self-aggrandizement. So here's a, here's a guy who clearly just wants to be famous. I think that we live in an age of influencers and people just want to get like more eyeballs and more views on their TikTok and to somehow make a living out of that, which Dylan Mulvaney certainly has done. But in the meantime, to to your point, Rachel. I mean, he's he's promoting totally unrealistic beauty standards because you're right. He, you know, he didn't go through female puberty, so he doesn't have the body of a woman. He has the body of a, of a man. And, you know, maybe because he's so thin that some women think that's beautiful, but it isn't. And what what is he also doing, right? He's taking hormones that will sterilize himself. I don't know that he's taken the leap to do any kinds of surgeries, um, but that is sort of the same pathway that we're talking about and we've been talking about in Alberta here. You know, the idea you're, you're sterilizing yourself, you're mutilating your body, you're potentially removing your breasts and your genitals if you're if you're a woman or if you're a man. Uh, and, you know, what what is this saying to a, a generation of, of confused young people? Like the way to go if, if you don't feel comfortable in your body is just to like change to a different body? I mean, what a, what, a, what a terrible, terrible message to send uh, to young people. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Honestly, like my heart breaks for a lot of the young girls growing up in today's society. Like it was difficult enough for me when I was a preteen and in those early preteen years, you're constantly being bombarded with images of unrealistic beauty standards because of all the editing that's done to women to make their skin look perfect and to make them look thin and curvy. And I think when I was growing up, it was a little more moving into, you know, the Kardashians had become big. There was Beyonce. So there's more acceptance for that curvy body. But nowadays it's taking the, a look of a very thin or even prepubescent male of this really thin body and saying, this is the ideal standards 
for young women and for women in general and it's absolutely unrealistic that is not what a woman's body look like and in addition now there's this big phase of ozempic going on in hollywood and we're seeing women that did once have really curvy body all of a sudden being very very stick thin again so it is very difficult to be growing up today i can't imagine seeing all these images constantly i think there's a real need for parents to be aware of what's on their kids phones what they're seeing every day because it's just so damaging for these young girls and you know at the same time young young men and boys of course are being presented with these images of oh well maybe you're in the wrong body you know maybe you could be a girl i think we we're seeing it a little more that it's young girls who want to transition to be boys at a younger age and then maybe older men who are transitioning to be women. I feel like the trends move in that direction. But in general, it's just a very difficult time to be growing up with all these really evil and confusing messages being constantly hammered at kids. And what's going on with Mark Cuban all of a sudden? He's defending DEI and the NBA and 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 diversity. And now he's defending Dylan Mulvaney. Like, I didn't know that this guy was some super, you know, woke activist. I didn't think that was his brand. But for whatever reason, he's kind of gone down this path. And I'm pretty sure the market would indicate the other way. He's, a, he's supposed to be a good businessman. And he's now going down the uh, the path, which is no longer popular. It's very strange. I don't, well, know what, I don't know what compelled him to all of a sudden do all this. No, you're right. Like, it's it's sort of like the zeitgeist has shifted, right? It's like yeah. during the COVID and the two, early 2020s, everyone was woke. Everything was woke. Woke corporations, woke government, lockdowns, like Black Lives Matter, everything. And I, I almost think like since Elon Musk purchased Twitter, there's been kind of a rival. Like all of a sudden, Jordan Peterson is like the coolest guy in the world, even though he's like a cranky old Canadian, you know, university professor. But, you know, they, they've kind of like made conservatism cool and and we keep winning on all these issues and it's it's so it's so unpopular to take the route that mark cuban has that he's almost become like a he's he's nominated himself as as like a punching bag yeah. um I, I i wanted to keep on this topic of of transgenderism because obviously rachel the big news still out of alberta is the courage uh of your premier to introduce a policy that few in Canada dared to even talk about. And in, in, in the, you know, since then we've seen the Conservative Party of Canada basically wholeheartedly embrace the policy. We see more people speak out in favor of it. And and with that, I think we've seen the left wing media and different forces really go into overdrive to try to demonize Daniel Smith and that policy. And I think this sort of reached peak level uh, in the last few days. So uh, there's a story that came out of Alberta, an Alberta doctor says that the province's new policies, so Danielle Smith's new policies, contributed to the suicide of his transgender nephew. So uh, this is a, a terribly sad story. Uh, but the fact that they're pointing the finger at Premier Smith is, is pretty appalling. Um, so I'll just read a bit from the story. It says, an Alberta family is asking for a sit down with Premier Danielle Smith after claiming her proposed transgender policies led to the death of their loved ones. Dr. David Kagan, a professor at the University of Calgary, wants to meet with the Premier in hopes that she will change course on recent controversial policies impacting trans people. And basically throughout the course of the story, we learned that this uh, nephew of his was, was mentally ill. Um, it's interesting because they, they sort of the, the the news story paints it as if he's a child, as if he would be impacted because, of course, the policy is only aimed at people under the age of 18, so children. Uh, later in the story, they admit, though, that the um, nephew uh, that took his life uh, was a 37-year-old man, so not, not exactly a child that he would even be impacted by this policy, but they're still blaming the premier, uh, which was part of a kind of a really ugly trend that we see in the media where they're weaponizing suicide. So in the aftermath of this policy, 
basically the, the, the stat that everyone kept saying is like, if you don't let these trans kids tra transition, they're going to kill themselves. It's like a threat. It's like they're weaponizing death and suicide uh, to push their woke agenda. Uh, Rachel, what did, did you hear about the story? What was your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there. This individual is 37 years old. He's not actually being impacted by the policies that the premier announced. That's like me saying, oh, you know, I'm I'm really fearful for my pension with this discussion about an Alberta pension plan, you know, because the, the NDP are fear mongering and saying, oh, for people that are nearing retirement, you might not have a pension. And that's like me saying, oh, you know, I, I can't go on. This is too much for me. No, that's ridiculous. I, I won't be affected by that for decades. And in the case of this individual who committed suicide, which is absolutely tragic, you know, he was not impacted by the policies that the premier announced. He was long past those days. So it's not even like something he's eventually waiting for happen because he wasn't in the, the timeline of that. And also with the premier's announcement, the one thing that doesn't get mentioned very often, and I personally didn't agree with this part of the policy, is that she actually announced that she would be bringing in doctors to the province to help with those people who did have transgender surgery so that they would have aftercare because with these surgeries, there's so many complications and those complications can be fatal and they can actually destroy a person's life because we're really dealing with experimental science here. Like this is not something that's been done for many years. So, you know, doctors who are doing this, there's all sorts of problems that arise. And she said, we're going to have doctors come and deal with the aftercare. So this individual would actually have had more care under Danielle Smith's policy. And the news story just completely frames it, you know, with the headline that he's a nephew, you think this is a young kid who's committed suicide. They've completely missed the story. They've completely and purposefully mischaracterized the premier's policies on this issue. What do you think, Harrison? Yeah, well, they buried the lead, of course. They tried to, as Rachel said, try to make it seem as though this is a, a transgender child. I think this points to the reality that actually mental illness plays a significant part in this. And protecting children before they make a decision that could lead to severe mental illness is actually the right thing to do. I find it completely disgusting that someone would use the tragedy, the, the suicide of a family member, a close family member, to try and push a political message to get his name out into the news and to try and use it to 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 paint to paint the premier as someone who is as someone who has caused this it's it's awful um and i really think that this is the sort of thing that needs to be stopped the media also played into this as well it's not as though it was just this guy using his nephew to try and to try and push a political message the media is also using this tragedy to try and push an anti daniel smith message it's just it's disgusting the media should know better but of course, they don't actually care because this is all about the trend we see in, in activism journalism. You know, this is, this is exactly what we should come to expect from the CTV and the CBC and the like. This is just par for the course with them. No, you're right. I don't think there's anything more despicable and disgusting than the media trying to glorify or trying to use the death of a child to push through a public policy. Like I remember, again, a story out of Alberta during COVID, there was a child that died uh, sadly, tragically, any child that dies tragically, the, the child died with stage, he died of stage four cancer. Uh, I can't remember exactly the kind of cancer, but anyway, he, he also tested positive for COVID like the day before he died. And so when he died, the, all the news coverage just said like Canada's youngest COVID victim, this like young child has died of COVID. And his family came out with like a long Facebook post saying enough. He did not die of COVID, right? He, he's been in the hospital. He was very sick. He died of this cancer. He just happened to have COVID the day before he died, like that he got it in the hospital or whatever. And and, and that was sort of the, the beginning of when we started to know the difference between like dying with COVID versus dying of COVID. But just the way the media presented it, like 
it was really a push to try to get kids to get vaccinated. And it was just so gross. It was so gross. There was another story this week where the media did the exact same thing. So we saw the online harm skill bill get introduced by the Trudeau government, uh, really uh, sweeping censorship and mass surveillance uh, from the government. There's a small component that would also protect children uh, from sex, sexual exploitation. And so what did the media do? Uh, they they went and found the mother of Amanda Todd. I don't know. You, you two are both pretty young, so you might not even remember the Albert, uh, the Amanda Todd story. But back in 2012, so we're talking about something that happened 12 years ago. Uh, this young woman tragically took her own life. She committed suicide uh, because she was being bullied online, basically over sexual images that she herself had posted. Like she basically got on webcam, took off her clothes, people screenshotted it, used it to tease her or to mock her. And sadly, she ended up taking her own life. But the media tracked down the mother to do all these interviews. So the CBC trotted her out saying that this online harms bill could have saved her life. Um, that's the headline right there. If Trudeau had had the censorship regime back in place in 2012, guys, uh, it could have saved her life, uh, which is really saying something. And then uh, the Canadian press also wrote a story about it. So we saw it over in uh, on CTV. But really just the idea that that you would use suicide to try to push through a Trudeau policy. I, I just think it's one of the most appalling things that I've seen the media do in a while. Uh, Rachel, what's your what's your thoughts on all this? Honestly, I just I'm so desensitized to stuff that the legacy media does that it takes a lot for me to be like, wow, like I can't believe they did that. I would say one of the things that I couldn't help but notice with the online harm spell is, you know, maybe there is some good stuff on there about protecting children. I think we can all applaud efforts to protect children from real predators online, but any efforts that they did for or any of the good that was in this bill has been completely done by all their efforts to really clamp down on free speech. That should not have been in the bill at all. They didn't need the bits about, you know, what you can say online and the criminality involved with that. They should have just stuck to protecting children on the internet and not added in all those other things. And now the chances that this bill is going to get passed, I think is slim and it's certainly going to get bogged down in committee and it's going to get bogged down in the house. And there's going to be a lot of effort to amend this bill. And I think that any good work could have has been now evaded and the liberals should have really just stuck to the issue, but they just can't help themselves. Any opportunity they have, they're looking to clamp down on free speech and make life more difficult for, for Christians and people who have strong religious beliefs and conservatives in this country to push through their own agenda and to make it impossible for people to even disagree with them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It should be separated into two bills, to say the least. I, I think it will pass, though. I think I think even the conservatives will have a hard time voting against this bill just because of those online components, right? Like they've really, the media have really done Trudeau's work in presenting this bill as a bill to protect kids from predators on the internet, which. I, I mean, even my personal view is like, that's the job of the parents. That's my job and my husband's job to keep our kids offline, keep them from doing the kinds of antisocial things that sadly, tragically, Amanda Todd chose to do. You know, they, they had her mother on these shows talking about how somehow it was the government's fault that she killed herself. No, she made really bad choices. She didn't have parents in her life that were doing what they should have. Yes, there were some predators that were doing awful things to her. Uh, but but anyway, I, I I think I think that that the way that they've painted it, they've done liberals are so good at this. They've created this wedge issue that now they'll say to the conservatives, you know, do you really even care about kids and protecting kids? How are you going to vote against this bill, Harrison? What do you think? Well, I remember the Amanda Todd story because when we were when we were in middle school, they were bringing that up to us as sort of a lesson and to be careful about the internet. I remember hearing about that quite a lot. This is really this is really dangerous stuff because. 
I made sure to go back to the original online harms bill, the original one that was proposed in June of 2021. There is not a single mention of the word children, let alone in any interest in trying to protect children from online exploitation. The government has no interest in that because if they did, it wouldn't have taken them the, it wouldn't have taken them this long to actually protect children online. So maybe if it really could have saved her life, they could have done it in 2021. That was never their intention. They had to find a way to push this bill through by adding all of this, all of these protections for children, which we all agree with. I think we can all say that actually, yes, there should be protections for children to avoid exploitation online. The government doesn't care about that because if they did, they would have put it in the original bill. They basically took, took the original C-36 and took all of the dangerous, authoritarian, dystopian legislation that would basically create a digital police state in this country, which could put you under house arrest for a pre-crime, right? Which could put you in life in prison for violating hate speech online. They've taken that and packaged it with this nice glossy finish for protecting children. And they'll use that as a political weapon to attack conservatives to say, you don't care about children online. You don't care about protecting children. It's perhaps one of the most disgusting things the federal government has done and that is a tough bar to pass for this government. But this is this is unbelievable. And, and Candace, I'm I really hope that the conservatives don't vote for this. I, I think, to be quite honest, if the conservatives vote for this bill, that's going to be the final straw for many Canadians. It will really expose the conservatives for either being politically correct, not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to have real real debate. I mean, we've seen it with Bill C four. Uh, we've seen it with other bills that conservatives have voted for. But if they vote for this. This is going to be something that, that exposes the conservatives. I'm hoping they don't. I'm hoping Rachel's prediction is more accurate, that actually this gets bogged down, that this gets stuck in debate, and hopefully, you know, even NDP members might vote against it. But this is something very sick. To see the, see the, the liberals use children this way to push censorship. It's unbelievable. Well, and even just the way that the, the the Trudeau government presented it, right, when the justice minister got out there and presented the bill, I think the first like 30 minutes of the press conference were all talking about families that had experienced sexual exploitation for their children. Like that was all they talked about. That was the entire emphasis. Most of the news stories about this have been about, the, the you know, protecting kids in that aspect. And, and and only really like in in the, in the opinion columns and the analysis you get people pointing out sort of how terrifying uh, some of these measures are on the on the free speech side. I I I, I don't want to be too cynical. I think I think you're right. I think that the conservatives ultimately will oppose this bill, but they're going to make it hard because you, you know you've seen the conservatives in the past. They're the party that are the ones that are harsh on pedophiles and want to lock these people up and, and keep them off the streets and keep them away from kids. And the liberals have been the policy, the party more of like a revolving prison door and allowing people second and third and fourth chances. And so it's, it's really interesting that they've taken this component. You're right, Harrison, it's super manipulative, exactly what we would expect from the liberals, exactly what we would expect from the media to cover for them and, and make it seem entirely like it's one thing when really we're talking about uh, something totally different. Rachel, did you have any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, just that I agree with Harrison's points. Like this is a big issue for the conservative party. And I think if they flop on this, a lot of people, because, you know, Pierre, Pierre Polyev is very popular, but especially here in Alberta, I have a lot of people asking me, is he the real deal? 
because there's just been so much mistrust with the Conservative Party. We've had a series of bad leaders. Aaron O'Toole, you know, famously lied to Conservatives about what he would do once he became leader and then backtracked on those promises. Andrew Scheer wasn't as bad, but he wasn't much of a leader and he didn't really have a lot of original ideas and definitely didn't have much of a backbone as the Conservative leader. So people are really looking to know that they can trust and believe in the Conservative Party again. I think that Pierre Polyev has finally come out in support of women and in support of children and is finally taking a stand against the transgender issues. As we mentioned earlier, that, of course, he only did once he saw that it was safe to do so because Alberta Premier Daniel Smith did it first. We see that with Pierre Polyev time and time again. He comes out and speaks up on an issue once he knows that it's safe to do so. I'm sure that they're getting lots of pulling in the background. He's deciding which way to lean. So we'll see what he does here. I mean, those have been good things. He's still not strong on Ukraine. We're still sending tons of money to Ukraine. He said he wants us to send even more to Ukraine. He hasn't said we need a huge cap on immigration. Those are some of the biggest problems facing our country right now. So the Conservatives still kind of walking a fine line. I think we can all agree that a conservative government would be good for this country, but Pierre Polyev is still going to have to earn that trust back from conservatives. Yeah, that's a good way of, of thinking about it. I, I, I certainly do think that if Aaron O'Toole was leader of this party, it would be a different uh, outcome when it came to this particular bill, the on on harms bill. I don't know. I, I have a soft spot for Andrew Scheer. I mean, it's it's interesting because, you know, he, he didn't quite make it as leader. He, he still got more votes than Justin Trudeau in the 2019 election. And now you see him leading the charge with the uh, Arrive Scam uh, committee hearings. And he's just like a star over there doing doing his job and holding the Liberals account and really unearthing some pretty damaging, scandalous things that Liberals did during COVID. So, but, uh, but, but overall, I think you're right. I think that Conservatives need to be vocal to maintain, to, to, to make sure that the, the party and, and the leader knows that they can't take, he, you know, he can't take our, our votes for granted. Uh, final story, guys, I, I want to move on to. Um, this, 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 this happened a couple of weeks ago, but we saw that Google introduced its, its new Gemini AI program. It was a total train wreck. It, it was just one of the absolute worst rollouts of new technology that I have ever seen in my entire life. And you know, we're talking about one of the biggest companies in the world, like a, a company worth, I think, a trillion dollars um, that, that controls so much of the Internet when it comes to search and advertising. And what happens, they introduce this AI tool um, that I, I guess maybe they programmed it to hate white people or to pretend white people didn't exist or to erase white people from our history books. And so uh, what did we see People were playing around with it and sharing their images on social media. But basically, any historical figure that you would uh, search for, you would just see a non-white version of it. So I think we have an image here of what the Pope supposedly looks like. So create an image of the Pope. Uh, we see a, a, South, a South Asian woman um, and an African man. Neither of those demographics have ever been Pope. <laughs> Popes have always looked pretty much uh, one way, and it's not like this. Uh, we also had an image of George Washington, the first president of the United States. Apparently, he was a black fella. Um, and uh, what was the final one here? Oh, Vikings. Uh, we had images of Vikings. And apparently, they were actually, I don't know, uh, Samoan or <laughs> Southeast Asian or African, uh, Mongolian maybe. I mean, it just, just kind of interesting that whoever wrote the code for these computers basically told them that white people shouldn't exist or don't exist. Uh, so, so, so Google kind of had to embarrassingly walk this back, but I, I think this presents a pretty terrifying uh, future where you have, uh, you know, a woke Silicon Valley firm pushing its values, its values apparently that they just hate white people or don't want white people to exist, and um, you know what 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 the ramifications of that could be. Harrison, I know you have strong strong opinions on this one. What did you well, think? it's it's extremely dangerous. The reality is, it's funny to laugh at, but there is a deeply 
uh, sinister underlying aspect to this, which is AI is going to be a major part of our lives over the next, basically the next century. It's going to continue growing in influence. It's going to start writing, writing code, writing scripts, writing news stories. And there's clearly ideological bias built in and it's, and it's, they, they can't even hide it. This resulted in a $70 billion market value hit to Google's parent company when this catastrophe was, uh, was unfolding on social media. And they had to pull the entire AI image generating software offline to try and fix it. But I don't have confidence that they're going to just find a way to take out all the ideological bias out of this AI. Uh, all of these major companies are going to start doing this. Google being one of the most popular, one of the most valuable is going to have an AI product that is going to be involved in our as every aspect of our life. And if it's extremely biased, if it's anti-white, if it's anti-Christian, if it's, if it's got this bent to it, that has some serious problems going forward. It's not something that we can just laugh at and joke at, although it is funny to see a, a black George Washington and, and black Vikings that it is, it is hilarious, but there is something deeper going on here and it needs to be called out. And I'm glad that they pulled it, but I don't have confidence that this is going to be turned around anytime soon. Someone maybe perhaps on the right should start developing their own AI to try and counteract this. Well, I think the saving grace is that they, they caught it, they they exposed it, and they were so mocked. Again, this is like the change yeah. in the zeitgeist over the last few years because I think like this woke ideology was much more mainstream back in like 2020, 2021, and now it's like laughable. It's like so absurd. Google got caught and they had to walk it back embarrassingly, apologize or caught lying. Like pe people just don't want this anymore. And, I, I, you know, ho hopefully – They'll change, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. This will be the beginning of the end of Google and some other company that, that, that that's more trustworthy and more like thoughtful or common has common sense. Uh, will we'll take over uh, with this kind of technology. Rachel, what do you think? I mean, I'm really only surprised that they did apologize in the end. I, I just kind of expect people to double down on these things nowadays. But it was probably, for what Harrison mentioned, you know, it did have a big impact on their bottom line. So, of course, that gets company moving. And on that note, that's really what the issue is. It's that these are private entities that have more power than the government does. They've got more influence than the government does. And so the government has been sort of late to legislate things. And I'm all for the free market. But when we look at the Internet, there is some regulation needed there, of course. And I think it's been slow to do that. And now we're having all these types of problems where we have companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google that are so powerful and so corrupt and they hate conservatives. And obviously a big win for us was that Elon Musk was willing to put his money where his mouth was and bought Twitter. And now we really have that as an actual free speech platform. You know, to Harrison's point, someone could start developing equal technology on the right. That'd be great. But Google has already capitalized on the market so much so. So it's really going to take a lot for people to move away from them. At this point, I guess we can be grateful that they are sort of walking it back. But yeah, I'm, I'm not super optimistic at this point. I think on the internet side of things, I, I tend to be a little bit more cynical seeing what's coming down and not really sure where we go from here to see some actual solutions. Well, it's just funny, like anecdotally, I, I saw a couple of really funny uh, individuals, not, not even just with images on Gemini, but just AI in general, right? Like, I think someone wrote in, um, hey, make the point, uh, make, make the case for having four children or more. And basically the computer said like, it's irresponsible to have four kids or more, it's bad for the planet. And then like counter to that, they said, make the case for not having any children. And, and then the computer like came up with this long thing about how like, you, you know, you'll be richer and you have financial freedom and you, like, why have kids? It, it, it's just like, it's baked in like this like horrible anti-human uh, ideology or even just again, anecdotally yesterday, I, I, I'm a big proponent of like trying to learn new technology and make sure that you stay up to date. So I was using 
AI and just doing it for research for my show. So I, I typed in, I was doing something on Canadian press and I wanted to find out like what government grants they were getting. So I said to the, to the AI technology, I said, is the Canadian press government funded? Right. And they said, no, no, Canadian press is independent. It's not funded by the government. And then I reworded it and I said, does the Canadian press receive any money from the government? And then the answer was yes. Here are all the various grants that they receive. So, so, so they're not they're not government funded. However, they are funded by the government. Do you see that? And and you can just see how, you know, they they, they throw in this wording uh, to to be sneaky, but it's like it's like bureaucraties basically written into the code of the computer to lie to you. Uh, Harrison, what do you what do you think yeah. of all this? I mean, just thinking about this, I, I'm 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 picturing how, for example, AI will be used in government services. Canadians mm -hmm. using AI to try and receive services from the government, digital services. How AI will be used, for example, in hospitals. How it will be used for triage purposes. You know, there is we can see how this is going to play out, and it's not looking very good at the moment. <laughs> like someone has to really figure this out because the minute you get that ideological bent into the into the system learning, whatever it's called. I'm no expert in AI. I don't know how you get it out, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think we should be expecting governments to all of a sudden hire AI experts to machine learn government tailored AI that will be perfectly unbiased, that will treat every Canadian the same. They're gonna obviously use these private companies who are building this technology because these are the only companies that have this technology, as Rachel said. So you can see how this plays out, not just online, not just making jokes about, you know, Mongolian Vikings and, 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 you know, black George Washingtons, but how this could play out in an emergency, how this could play out in a hospital, how this could play out in, in, in government services. It's frightening and it really needs to be addressed. I just don't, I, like I said, there's no, there's no way the government is going to build an AI that is going to be completely unbiased. They're going to have to rely on this. And it's obviously driven by ideology. No, you're absolutely right. But but just one one more funny, funny aspect about this, because Elon Musk uh, jumped in, you know, he had all these pictures of black George Washington, and he jumped in uh, saying, I can't believe Gemini made these unfair pictures of Justin Trudeau. Oh, wait, no, that was actually all real. So, you know, we, we, we can still poke fun at it as part of the way that we expose absolutely. the corruption. And and hey, our prime that's our prime minister that's who he is or, or who he was uh for for most of his life prior to jumping into politics uh, rachel file thing you know we saw pierre polyev mock justin trudeau the other day for wearing blackface and saying how can he you know be the regulator of hate speech when he himself was a hateful person in his 20s and 30s wearing blackface uh the media got like up in arms like how dare pierre polyev bring this up like like that's that's irrelevant or whatever. Uh, what, what what do you think of of Pierre Polyev making uh, news again uh, over Justin Trudeau's uh, blackface uh, incidents that he that he had in the past? The blackface incidents are really it's really one of those things that the people on the right bring up at every opportunity that they have because it's just so funny and the photos are just so hilarious. It's like every time Justin Trudeau does something stupid, so most days you find people on the internet, they find a way to tie it back to the blackface. Like he's never going to live this down. Like it's always going to come up. There's going to be like major chapters dedicated to it in future political biographies that are written on him because it's just something he can't escape. I don't know why the legacy media chose to get angry about it. Like they didn't necessarily have to cover it, but it's, it's not worth getting angry about. It is something that he did. And I think it's fair that people would try to tie that back to him of course now as he's trying to be this huge sort of cultural icon and you know always 
kind of harping on the right for accusations of racism and discrimination. So it's just one of those things that's going to follow him forever. And, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hilarious. I think I think it shows a different side of the prime minister, a side that he himself tries to hide, that the media try to hide. Um, you know, he, he's supposed to be like this pure woke figure that can't do any wrong. And it's like the reality is he, he was kind of a jerk. Like he was pretty insensitive and rude and maybe racist uh, up until the time he decided that he wanted to be prime minister. Harrison, I'll, I'll give the very last uh, word of the show to you. Well, that's why you pay off the media, right? So that you can just run, you can have all your 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 moral failings covered, uh, and then you can attack your opposition for any time they address it. I think Tucker Carlson said it best when he told Canadians that we should be making fun of Justin Trudeau over this every time we can. There's no reason to not make fun of him for it. He is the man who accuses Canadians who are unvaccinated of being racist. He's the man who accuses his political opposition of of dog whistling to the far right, of being you know these evil MAGA Republicans. Imagine if Pierre Polyev wore blackface once. Um, or even, or even, you know, darkened his face to, to, to dress up as some sort of, uh, you know, like the Arabian Nights thing. If it had, if that happened once, it would be the end of his political career because Pierre Polyev doesn't give the media hundreds of millions of dollars. So, you know, I think Trudeau made a point about this is exactly why he pays off the media, but I guess it does, it does show that if you, if you give them money, they'll run cover for you every time. Well, and I, th- I think that's the most important thing that Tucker said when he was in Canada was you should be making fun of this guy like every day. He is such a ridiculous person. He is so silly. He's not serious. Like if you laugh at him, it takes away his power. So I I, I think that's a a good reminder. Precious ego. Exactly. All right. Well, Rachel Harrison, it's been a blast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. And remember everybody, everything you just heard was off the record. Are you guys both Gen Z or are you millennials? Gen Z. I'm the I'm the oldest generation of Gen Z, so at times I um find I fit more into the millennials. Like I did the whole plucking my eyebrows too thin thing and now I'm like, oh, I wish that I had thick, fluffy eyebrows, but it's too late. I followed the millennials off the and hill you, on that you one. Have thick, you have thick, beautiful eyebrows. I'm I'm the one like I, I have like no eyebrows, so but I, I had no eyebrows before I ever plucked them, so well, at least you aren't like living in the regret of your decisions now. Fair enough. Well, how old are you, Harrison? Uh, 24. So I'm a Zoomer. Yeah. Two Zoomers. Yeah. Great. You guys are like, you guys are our 30 under 30. 